0: Father, we pray that you'll speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word. We pray that your Spirit will show us Jesus, that we might see him more clearly, uh, and love him more, and follow him with confidence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been on a roller coaster? Uh, Many years ago, uh, Judy and I took our kids to Legoland in Johor. And under the influence of our children, we went on the same roller coaster a number of times. Now, the thing about the roller coaster is that it's scary. It's meant to be. But you know, it's actually safe. You're not going to die. Though the way the, the roller coaster throws you around, it really feels like you will. In our passage today, we're going to see some people who were thrown around uh, like we were in the roller coaster, except in this case, they really did think they were going to die. The passage we're looking at is a part uh, of uh, Matthew's Gospel, It comprises, Ma- uh, uh, and it's actually a part of a section uh, that comprises of Matthew chapter 8 and 9. Uh, and this section uh, is an action section of the Gospel. It comes between two blocks of the five blocks of Jesus' teaching that Matthew presents. In the first part of chapter 8, we saw Matthew presenting us with three miracles of Jesus. Each of them told us something about who He is and about how we ought to relate to Him. And then in our passage last week, he challenged us to follow Jesus by presenting us with the stories of two men who considered doing so. Jesus warned the first one that following him would be hard. He would have to face all kinds of uncertainties and insecurities. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, he said, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then with the second one, he made what some might consider an unreasonable demand. When the man wanted to go and bury his father before following Jesus, Jesus wouldn't let him. Following Jesus was meant to be an even higher priority than what you might sensibly think was one of the most important obligations in someone's life. Following Jesus can bring uncertainties and insecurities. But does that make it ultimately unsafe? Following Jesus means that he has priority over everything and everyone else. But who is Jesus to make such demands? And can he validly require such loyalty from us? And what does all this mean when we are faced with danger and even death? We'll see the answers in our passage today. Now we don't know if these two men who considered following Jesus actually did so. But there were disciples who did. And so Matthew tells us in verse 23 that when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. This boat is on the Sea of Galilee, up north. Jesus is planning to cross over to the other side. The trip should have been routine and uneventful, but Jesus was right that following him wouldn't be easy. Because when these disciples get in the boat with him, they encounter, in verse 24, a great storm on the sea. Can imagine some of them are wondering whether it was such a good idea to follow Jesus after all? My friends, if you're someone here who is thinking about following Jesus, well, let me warn you again. Following Jesus will not mean that you do not find yourself in difficulty. In fact, you might even just be walking into it. And my fellow believers, don't forget this either. Sometimes we assume that if we're following Jesus, then then everything will be smooth sailing. And if something goes wrong, that means we've made a mistake and we're not following Him properly. Or if we have been following Him properly, then he has let us down in some way by allowing us to get into the terrible mess. But actually, he never promised that things were going to be easy. In fact, he warned people that following him would be tough, and he was right. These people followed him, and he sailed straight into a storm. And this is no ordinary storm. Matthew describes it as a great storm. And in fact, the word he used to describe the storm is like, like an earthquake on the sea. Right? The emphasis is on the wild, shaking motion of the water, with a little boat uh, being, in verse 24, swamped by the waves. That is, the waves are not only beating against the boat, they're, they're covering it, they're hiding it, they're coming on top of it. This storm is so serious that the disciples, at least four of whom are experienced fishermen who made a living on that very lake, are convinced they're going to drown. And while all this is going on, where is Jesus? He is, at the end of verse 24, asleep. Jesus is fast asleep in the book. The son of man, who had no place to lay his head, has crushed up. Maybe he's exhausted from all his work of teaching and healing and casting out demons, but it's not just that he's tired. It's also that he's confident. Jesus is not worried about the storm. He's just napping through it. His disciples break up his peaceful slumber. They wake him. They say in verse 25, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Uh, The word perishing means to be destroyed. And it's often used about people being destroyed under the judgment of God. Uh, Our ESV Bible correctly translates it in the present tense. Uh, The disciples are not just saying, there's a good chance we will die in this storm. They actually say, we are perishing. Something awful is happening. We are in the process of being destroyed. Could it be that they remember the story of Jonah? Where God caught up with his disobedient prophet as he was sleeping on the boat? and brought about a storm that is so severe that the, the only way the soldiers would be saved was to throw him overboard? Could it be that they've got this slither of fear that, well, what if Jesus isn't really who he claimed to be? What what, what, what if he's in trouble for speaking all the kinds of things that he did? Actually, we don't know what's running through their mind, but at the very least, we know that they are panicking. They are panicking, and they think they're going to die. How does Jesus respond? When Jesus wakes up, he tells them off, but only in a very gentle way. Why are you afraid, verse twenty-six. Oh, you of little faith? It's a, it's a tender ticking off, because it's not as if they've done something really bad. Right? They did what we were taught to do in the previous stories. They, they came to Jesus with humility. They called him Lord. They, they came to Jesus in faith hoping somehow he will save them, and most importantly, they came to him. So at one level, they they do have faith, but the only problem is is that it's, it's little faith. Because, well, they are still panicking, when actually, they don't need to panic. You see, Jesus came on a mission, and he would not die until that mission was accomplished. God's not going to let his plan of saving the world through his Son be thwarted by a storm. Jesus would die to save the world, but it wouldn't be by drowning in a lake. That's that's on the Old Testament. Jesus is not worried. He knows the Father's plan. And he knows that they are safe. They may well be tossed around by the waves like, like we were tossed around on the roller coaster, but, but like the people on the roller coaster, they actually quite secure. Jesus knows that and sleeps. But the disciples, they just look at the circumstances, and based on the circumstances, they very reasonably and rationally panic. And friends, we can be like that too, can't we? Following Jesus may well lead to frightening circumstances that can easily lead us to panic. And panicking might be the most reasonable and rational thing that we do if we don't get the bigger picture. But the bigger picture is that Jesus is with us. We will not perish. It doesn't mean that terrible things won't happen. It doesn't mean that we won't suffer. It doesn't mean that we won't lose things or or even lose the people we love. It doesn't even mean that we won't die. We might. But even if we die, we go to be with Jesus and one day he will raise us up. And so in the bigger picture... All things considered, at the end of the day, actually, if Jesus is with us, then we are safe. We will not perish. We will not be destroyed for our sins under the judgment of God. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Because on the cross, Jesus took the judgment that we deserve. He perished under the judgment of God. So that we do not have to face the ultimate perishing of eternal damnation. And after He had dealt with our sins, He rose again from the dead as Lord of all, and we can be certain that one day He will raise us too, to enjoy the eternal life in the new creation with Him. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle John, uses picture language to describe that new creation. And in the picture of the new creation, there's not only no more storm, there's no more sea. Because the sea represents all that is dangerous and threatening, like in this passage. And in the new creation, it's gone forever. And so friends, as we go through frightening circumstances, like the disciples did here, it's only natural to panic. And of course we should cry out to Jesus when we do. But on the other hand, we need not panic. We know the Father's plan for us. And we know that whatever happens, God will not allow His plans for us to be thwarted. In fact, we know from Romans eight twenty eight that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. And what's that good that He planned? Well, Romans eight continues: for those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's plan for us is that we should grow more and more like Christ, and that one day we should be with him in glory forever. And is he going to accomplish that plan? Well, we're told in the very next verse, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. If we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, then our future glorification is so certain that it's even put in the past tense. No disaster can thwart God's plan for us. We may face sickness, or sorrow, or accidents, or storms, or persecution, or even death, but none of those things will stop God's plans. We are secure in Christ as the disciples were secure in the boat, and certainly more secure than my family and I were on that roller coaster. The disciples didn't feel safe in the boat, though they were, we may not feel safe either. But if Christ is with us, then we are ultimately safe. And with Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm as we go sailing home. So what does Jesus do? Now, he could have just reassured them and gone back to sleep. That would have been okay. They would have been fine. They were safe with him. But in this particular case, he decides to do something immediately. He doesn't always calm the storms in our lives, so to speak. But in this occasion, he's going to do something dramatic because he's going to show the disciples and through them he's going to show us something about who he is. And once he's done that once, he doesn't need to do it again because once he's shown us who he really is, then we can trust him to look after us through whatever storms we face, however long they rage. Look what Jesus does in verse 26. In the midst of the, the raging of the sea and the tossing of the waves, he, he gets up. And then it says, He rebukes the winds and the sea. He speaks to the waves. He tells them to stop. He tells the wind, the sea to stop. And you know what happens? There is great tranquility. All becomes calm. In creation, God spoke, and nature obeyed. And here Jesus speaks, and the winds and the waves, they they just do what he says. This might be the most amazing miracle so far in Matthew's Gospel, because, you know, Jesus healed people, but controlling nature, that's something else, isn't it? And it's not just a miracle of timing, because even if the wind just so happened to stop when Jesus said so, the waves would have kept on moving for a long time afterwards. But Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, and it's completely calm. So you know, he's, he's not like Jonah, is he? Jonah was helpless under the judgment of the God who controls the weather. Jesus is the God who controls the weather. In Psalm 65, in the Old Testament, the psalmist speaks of how great God is. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth, of the Father of seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their ways, the tumult of the people, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are at awe at your sights. The awesome Creator God stills the wind and the waves. What about Psalm 89? O Lord, God of hosts, who is as mighty as you are, O Lord with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea, and when its waves rise, you still them. Or Psalm 107? A psalm for giving thanks to God for saving people uh, in all different circumstances and well, one of those circumstances is in verse 23 onwards. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord, that is to Yahweh, the God of Israel, in their trouble. And He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders." You know, the disciples in the book just had that experience. They experience Jesus in the very role that the Old Testament gives to God. And the disciples knew that, because every Jew knew the Psalms. No wonder they marvel in verse 27 and say, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Friends, showing us the identity of Jesus seems to be the the main point that the Holy Spirit is making through Matthew here. That's the the climax of this, this story. But notice he doesn't tell us. He shows us. He lets us see for ourselves what Jesus did. And then when we read the Old Testament, we can work out who Jesus is. And then we can work out if we are willing to follow him and trust him as we do. Remember, he's just shown us Jesus' warning that following him can lead to uncertainties and insecurities. But now he shows us that even though it's scary, following Jesus is ultimately safe. He's just shown us that Jesus makes really tough loyalty demands from those who follow him. But now he shows us the right that Jesus has to make such demands. He is truly man, who gets tired enough to sleep soundly in the boat, trusting his heavenly Father, but he is also truly God, who commands the wind and the sea. So unlike anyone else in the whole world, it is perfectly appropriate for him to demand our complete and utter allegiance. And because of who he is, not only can he make those demands, but he can also keep his promises. So if you're not a believer, and you're thinking of following Jesus, let me tell you, you can safely do that, even though it will bring insecurity and uncertainty in the short term. And if you're already following Jesus, then whatever you are going through, let me assure you as well, you are ultimately secure. At the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus was identified as Emmanuel, God with us. At the end of the Gospel, Jesus will promise his disciples that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. And in this passage, we have seen that if he is with us, then we need not panic. We will not perish if we are with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is indeed God with us. And we thank you that he has shown that so clearly in this incident that that, that we read about today. And so we thank you that we can have confidence in the midst of troubles. We thank you that because he is with us, we can be sure that that we will not ultimately perish, but have eternal life. And so we pray that you help us not to panic when troubles come, but to put our hope and our trust in him. And we ask this in his name. Amen.